Welcome to episode 42 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagheri. And today we are going to talk about Federico Fellini's La Strada from 1954, which won the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film and also got a nomination for Best Original Screenplay at the 29th Academy Awards. Now, the award, Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film, uh, it's got a totally different title today, but La Strada is the very first winner of this award. Uh, they gave out honorary awards for a while in the, you know, from 1947 up until 1956. And then at the 29th Academy Awards in 1957, they recognized La Strada against other films. So it became competitive for foreign films to compete over here in the United States at the Oscars. Uh, I want to open up a little discussion about this category and just kind of how silly it is, <laughs> uh, especially now. Maybe then, maybe back then, especially early on when you have a lot of silent films, you know, what, what, what are you going to do there? But now, especially now, it seems like we could get rid of this kind of a category and just let all movies compete together. What do you think? I disagree. Um, okay, let's, let's hear it. So I think right now we are kind of opening that barrier, but... You know, mm-hmm. like with this past Oscars, we see, you know, uh, the director of another round, I forget his name, uh, getting a nomination. Thomas Vinterberg. Thomas Vinterberg getting up for director. Legend. Aw- <laughs> awesome movie. <laughs> yeah. Last year we had I can't, I can't wait for you to see it. <laughs> I'm excited. I can't wait to see that. I, I'm, I love Mads Mikkelsen to death. Uh, it, it may be the most interesting role I've ever seen him in. So, yeah, I can't, I'm not going to say his best because he has a lot of great work. Yeah, but I cannot wait for you to see him in this movie. Yeah, it's great, fantastic. But I think that you know, foreign film, especially in America, does not have an audience as big as it should. Uh, and it's always been kind of you know kind of like that because we've never really been one for foreign influence, which is really fucking sad. Uh, but I think highlighting these films, giving you know international film an opportunity to be recognized at the Oscars is an opportunity for that spotlight to be shown on them in a way that I don't think it would in America. You know, international film doesn't, doesn't really, you know, make bucks here. So this is, I think a good way for people to kind of, you know, find out about these films. Uh, Yeah. I I like it. I think it, I think it's, I think it does good things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's like Facebook. I think there's pros and cons. <laughs> I think it is good for for that exact thing that you're saying when the Oscar nominations come out or you're looking online at past Oscar you know, uh, ceremonies and you see that foreign language category and some people's interest might be piqued because, oh, hey, the, these five movies are from completely different places and and I know that going into them right uh and that's not the case for a lot of the other categories you know they're going to be mostly American or you know British or whatever it may be English-speaking movies so I get that there's kind of intent there when you're seeking out the that category yeah and there's definitely you know pros to that because you're intentionally going out of your way to watch something that is from a different place of a different culture and that's awesome i i definitely do 
try to do that intentionally. I'll try to watch movies from places from, from countries that, Oh, I've never seen a movie from there. So I'm going to go ahead and watch one from here, you know, see what's, see what's going on, see what's going on in Ukraine, see what's going on, you know, in, you know, whatever it may be, see what's going on in, in, you know, South Africa, see what's going on in Kenya. You just never know what's going on in movies. And that's great. But I also, as just a kind of competitive natured person, uh, if I were, you know, Bong Joon-ho, you know, and Parasite, you know, I I get all these wins. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I I should be in those categories. I should be allowed to be in those categories. But I also don't know if I should have a category made up just because it's you, you have to read subtitles. And so then I think it, in turn, it creates a thing where people stay away from them. Now, these are probably not huge movie people. But these are also people who just watch some movies. And if they see, oh, man, like, I got to, you know, got to do subtitles for that. That kind of sucks, you know. And it's all it's all kind of a mind game to me because I think and I've used this movie before as as an example. But with like something like Inglorious Bastards, you know, you go into it. It's Quentin Tarantino. It's a gritty American filmmaker. Oh, well, you're going to be reading subtitles on goddamn what? You know, should that be up for best foreign language film? Should it be? I don't know. I mean, it, Minari is more American than Glorious Bastards <laughs> as far as landscape and what's happening, ge- what's happening geographically. You know what I'm saying? And I think it gets kind of gray sometimes. And there's for sure pros and cons to it. But I, but, but I, I, I fear just as like a huge movie fan that that, that gray line, I kind of, I kind of want it to be in or out. You know what I'm saying? And, and I, I wish there wasn't, I kind of wish this category didn't exist sometimes. Well, I feel like the Oscars have realized that, that, you know, Minari and Inglorious Bastards are technically foreign language films. That's why they changed it to best international film. So it is yeah. Yeah. not, you know, anything that it's an American production doesn't count. And they are, you know, I think that we're, I think it's kind of best of both worlds right now where I okay. get my, I get my foreign language film category and you get your inclusion with the other categories because mm-hmm. everyone, the film at the Academy is really kind of giving everything a chance right now. And that's good. It hasn't always been like that, but I think right now it, everything's getting a shot at, you know, primo nominations and they are picking the best films, not necessarily the best American films, but the best films. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, yeah, I, I agree. I think there, ha- I think there has been progress. You know, fucking knock on wood. But I think there has been progress the past few years. It's 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 that though. It's that conversation that's kind of ever could could go on forever about, you know, well, yeah, more movies get more shoutouts, more nominations if there's this if there's this category, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's there's good things about that. You know, I just you, you know where I'm coming from, right? You know what I'm saying? It just I, I fear. I fear a little bit of that kind of that perspective thing where, oh, English speaking movies are the most important. Therefore, they're going to dominate. And then we're going to have a special category for the movies that aren't English speaking. And that's where it gets kind of tricky for me because, you, and you know, there, there are movies out there that we just, we just don't know about. And how can we, how can we justify that all of these English speaking movies deserve all of these nominations over these other movies? It's very hard to decipher that, right? And that's why 
award shows are, are just tough to kind of wrap your head around. But I love these discussions. I, I, I love just kind of thinking about what are these categories? What do they mean? You know, what do they offer us? Well, I mean, again, we do have to remember that the Oscars is an American award show. It is. It but, is. You know, in France, mostly, you know, mostly French movies are nominated. It's, it really comes down to country of origin preference. And that sucks, but that's just the way of the world. Yeah, you just you you would just hope here we're talking about, you know, we're not you know, the Golden Globes are obviously a popularity contest, but we're talking about the Oscars, and we would hope that the most quote unquote prestigious and popular award, you know, uh, organization would just hold themselves to a whole different standard. And we can only hope. And I think I I do think I think you're right that they are kind of you know, finding kind of meeting in the middle, kind of finding a way to represent some of these really cool films like another round. And also, hey, Minari is just straight up in this category as well. And, you know, we, we, we've seen it. We, we, we did a we did Z 1969, which got in that best uh, that best picture category. You know, movies definitely sneak in sometimes. It, it, it just kind of raised your eyebrow that it hasn't happened more often. Also, I think that on the other side of it, if you if the Oscars just one day decided to get rid of that category, they are going to come under heavy fire for being, you know, racist or, you know, white nationalists just for getting rid of the foreign category. Yeah, no, no one has the capacity to think about that. Yeah. 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 You want to say like something that really pissed me off from this Oscars and this is petty, but I don't care. Um they folded best sound mixing and best sound editing into one category. And instead of calling it best sound design, they went right back to the fucking like nineties and called it best sound again. Best. Yes. <laughs> We've talked about this before. Gotta love that. Just best sound. And now we're stuck with fucking best sound again. Now, like I'm, ugh, I hate that so much. I don't know why I hate that. It's just, it's too vague. Uh, Because it it sucks. Because it sucks, man. (laughs) It's it's stupid. It's yeah. I I I saw that too, and I was like, oh god. Of course, it's going to get brought up because that's been a running thing on here. Whenever you do older movies, you just see best sound. (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm the best sound winner. Yeah. So I'm you know I'm on board with with the international film thing. I do think that in the past, uh, representation abroad has not been great. Yeah. Uh, has been pretty much narrowed down to that category apart from very few exceptions. But I think we also have to remember the films that those films were up against. And sometimes, you know, the Americans went out for a reason. They were better films. Yes, of course. Sometimes, yeah, the English speaking, you know, whether it be from England or US or Canada or whatever, you know, are just really solid. You know, we've, you know... Come, come some kind of way as far as cinema goes uh, here in the United States of just, you know, whether, whatever, whatever it counts for, you know, seeing, you know, women like Chloe Zhao, Regina King, and these Emerald Fennell, all these women kind of be in the kind of award cycle, award show cycle is really cool. Uh, I, 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 we pay attention to that stuff. You know, we, we care about this kind of shit. Obviously uh, we, ha- we have a, we have a realistic approach to the Oscars, <clears throat> but we also, you know, we care to an extent, you know, about the outcome and 
what it has an effect on these different careers. And the, the guy, the guy we're talking about today <clears throat> has greatly impacted his career and his legacy here, uh, uh, especially in the Western part of the United States or uh, sorry, Western part of the world, uh, Italian Federico Fellini. This guy has a <clears throat> incredible resume as far as, you know, the Oscars go and, art house film lovers, you know, kind of adore him without the Oscars, you know, without all that stuff, you know, it's just kind of a, a European God when it comes to, comes to, you know, the fifties, sixties, seventies guy, just kind of churning stuff out. But for me learning about him, it definitely was just a guy that I <laughs> like Fellini and Godard are guys you <laughs> hear people talk about like on movies or shows where they just sound like pretentious assholes (laughs) or guys who probably went to film school. Right. You know, and, and and like carry themselves a certain way. And so I kind of stayed, kind of stayed away from that kind of stuff, you know? And then, you know, the past few years, I've just kind of put all my walls down and just kind of bring everything on, you know, just, just bring it on, you know, and of course, some of Fellini's films are heavily, heavily critically acclaimed and have lived on today to be quote unquote masterpieces, right? And I've, I've only seen, you know, four of his films. I believe you've seen three now. Yes. And, and that's not a lot, obviously, for, for any filmmaker who has a heavy catalog, heavy resume and has such a, you know, huge legacy like Fellini. With that being said, I, I think it's important to set aside all of that, all of that kind of uh, fan shit that's just around people, you know, because it, it it clearly creates <laughs> cr- creates a certain ego about the uh, about the filmmaker. And Fellini is a guy from from what we've read, definitely from what I've read is got a certain ego about him uh and lestrade is the film that we chose because it's the winner of the 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 category we were just talking about and we wanted to you know go ahead and cover the first winner ever of this category neither of us had seen this film but uh you know i i want to talk about this guy i want to talk about the movies that you and i got to watch this past week you know i I watched knights of kiberia eight and a half and a marcord and i believe you got to watch the other two the latter two yeah, I was not able to get to uh, Knights of Kiberia, uh, regrettably, but I did watch Amarcord and Eight and a Half. Yes, and, and the reason these four films are kind of on the table is because all four of these won Best Foreign Language Film. That'd be La Strada came out in 1954, Knights of Kiberia came out in 1957, Eight and a Half, 1963, and Amarcord, 1973. So they all competed, of course, like a year later. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, that, that happens a lot with foreign movies uh, back in the day. And we put these four movies kind of on the table. I know you weren't able to get to Knights, but uh, he, he has the most wins of any writer director, right? You know, he has, he has four altogether. These are all written and directed by him, you know. And I know you have some thoughts on, on his just kind of, you know, general, these movies just in general. But but what does that mean to you as a movie fan when you go into a director's, uh, a specific part of his catalog and you see that these are all winners 
you know, of best foreign language film. And some of them got other nominations as well outside of the foreign language category, like La Strada got the screenplay nomination. W- what does that do for you going into it? Do you have a certain expectation or, or, or what does it do for you? Um, well, it, it depends on the artist for the most part. Um, I, I feel like I've absorbed a lot of random background knowledge of a lot of these guys. So when I go in, I just kind of remember like, oh, that's, you know, Federico Fellini, eight and a half, you know. So I already know that these guys are critically acclaimed and considered some of the greatest directors of all time. So a four time win for best foreign language film tells me this guy has something. This guy is important to the evolution of film. So I should check these out. And, you know, there's certain directors that I think, you know, I can't call myself a film buff if I don't check out their work. And Federico Fellini is one of those guys. I don't necessarily have to like it, but I have to try. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm glad I did. I'm glad I can say that I've seen three of Federico Fellini's films. Uh, I would, I regret nothing. Yeah, oh, I, I kind of feel the same way always, no matter what, if I go into watching a few movies from a director or, you know, if it's a specific screenplay writer or an actor, no matter what, I'm kind of grateful for that experience. Cause you yeah. get to dive into, you get to dive into a specific part of cinema and what, like you said, whether you kind of personally dig or not, it's good to have that knowledge and that, that kind of firsthand experience. And, and with Fellini, it's a 100% necessary, you know, there is, there is, there is nothing I can say about what I thought prior to seeing his movies that, that would really mean anything, you know, it was just, it was just these thoughts of like, Oh, Fellini, that just must be what film school people watch, you know? And, and, and you, you realize these are just fucking movies. They're just fucking movies. They're two, two and a half hour movies that this guy made. And some of them good, some of them not just like everybody else. <laughs> I've often said in the past, I think on this show that nothing is a classic to everybody. That it's all subjective, and there are some classics that have not aged particularly well that aren't going to resonate with everybody, and that's okay. Nothing is going to be amazing to every person who sees it, and I think that a lot of these classic films have like, you know, have that almost like a reverse stigma, like you need to like this, and that's just not true of any movie ever made of anything really. There's nothing on this earth that you are forced to like. <laughs> when it comes to art and uh i wish that this was more you know accepted in the film community where you can just kind of like what you like and not like what you don't like there's nothing wrong with that no one's going to come down on you for not enjoying a two and a half hour italian film from 1963 yeah 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 oh that's yeah i that's an ever going thing you know and i I think always reminding yourself that people watch movies differently. People watch movies differently. People like different things. Remind yourself over and over because you, you tend to, uh, most, most movie fans, you know, tend to kind of just, you know, you just gather these favorites and these favorites and, you know, you'll, you'll feel personally attacked, you know, and someone, someone's like, fuck your shit. And you're like, no, like, but, 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 think about all the shit that they do like about, about your pile, you know, and, and it's good to have those differences. Yeah. And I, I'm glad we have, we have another difference here today. I, I'm glad, I'm glad we have uh, uh, a definite, definite differentiator, you know, again, and I, uh, with episode, what was it? 39 
when we did faces right. 1968, you know, cl- clearly you watched that one and you watched a, a woman on the influence and you were kind of like, come on, you know, just where's the story at, you know, you really affected, you were really affected by how it was mostly just kind of camera work and not a lot of character development. I, I, I totally understand that. That's your style. I didn't, yeah, I didn't like faces. I thought Cassavetes was, you know, a little pretentious, a little, yeah, like didn't have much to say. And you loved it. And, you know, I didn't hate you for it. We're still very good friends. Nothing changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it has, it has to be that way. And I think with, with movies, especially, you know, you know, you, you, you got to just be flat out honest, you know, about, <laughs> about how you feel about them. And, if you take a liking to something, you know, hold on to it, you know, and really don't be afraid to be the person who's like, yeah, this is, this is my shit, you know, this is mine and, and kind of step up and do that. And with that, with that being said, you know, I'll, I'll say a bit about Knights of Kiberia. You know, we're going to talk a lot about Lestrada, give awards out to that movie. And that's going to be a lot of fun because I know you actually kind of, kind of dug that one. So, <laughs> but uh, Knights of Kiberia, you know, it's, it's back to back to back wins the 29th Academy Awards and the 30th Academy Awards. You know, Fellini takes the back to back foreign language film win. I think you would, I think you would dig this one too. Cause it's, it's a solid story about with the same lead actress, uh, his wife at the time, Julieta Messina. And she is spectacular, you know, in La Strada and she's spectacular in Knights of Kiberia. Uh, she plays a woman named Kiberia and she is uh, a prostitute kind of wandering the streets of Rome and just kind of runs into some some trouble here and there and you know it's pretty pretty fucking bleak uh, as you could expect from from old boy fellini <laughs> uh, i i i think it's uh immediately reminded me of uh of course uh jean-luc godard's uh viver Civi from the 60s which i actually think you would like that one too i know you have your your thoughts about breathless and <laughs> uh and a woman is a woman i think you don't like that one either yeah uh. i haven't seen that one but i have seen breathless and this isn't really the time but i (laughs) i could fill two hours of podcasts with how much i don't like that movie yeah yeah that one's that one that one's that one's that one's pretty good but i love viver savi i really like that one and i think it was i i think it reminded me a lot of knights of kiberia and i do i do think you you know the early fellini you know the the 50s stuff here it's probably more your bag, you know, it's uh, yeah. not nearly not uh, on the surface, not just not nearly as egotistical, not nearly as pretentious. I bet. Yeah. One thing I realized with Lestrada is that this is a guy who probably was telling stories, uh, telling stories early on in his career and developed into an artiste. <laughs> so as most directors do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Spielberg, you know, in 2000s, ain't making Jaws anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, I think every director has, you know, their early work where they want to, you know, make their mark as a storyteller. But as they become more famous and more appreciated and more respected, they, you know, let their ego drive. And mm. that's how we end up with stuff like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a great, great segue into eight and a half. <laughs> 1963 uh and it was it was up for a total of five oscars uh best art direction set direction best uh, screenplay best director and then it won best foreign language film and best costume design uh, <laughs> now 
of the of the four that I've seen of uh, Fellini's work, this is of of course this is my personal favorite, <laughs> and uh, it is ob- an obvious influencer in some of my favorite guys, mainly David Lynch. It clearly speaks to speaks to directors. Uh, you know, it's about a about a director kind of losing his shit and kind of some of the imagery of him, like, you know, he's like being pulled down by the rope and all oh, these fucking producers, these bastards are like demanding, you know, me make this movie. And he's like, totally not interested in making this fucking sci-fi movie. And I love watching that movie. I, I watched this a while back, you know, when I first signed up for criterion, you know, like a year ago. And I, I was just kind of, just kind of blown away by, the, the cinematography is pretty, pretty outrageous. You know, I, I read somewhere, <laughs> someone said, you've never seen the color white until you've watched eight and a half. <laughs> I read that too. I was like, yeah, Fuck you, dude, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. I, I, I would, I would never type that, but I, but I, I, I thought that was fucking funny as shit. And, and um, this movie, like a lot of my fair, a lot of my personal favorite movies is so, so up its own ass. And devastatingly egotistical. And when you see how how he he thought of it, you know, it's just it's just kind of like disgusting. <laughs> um, with that being said, you know I've seen it twice now, and at first I gave it an eight, and then and I raised it to a nine. And I, I yeah, I, I know you you know have your feelings about it. I, and I'll, I'll let you have your go at it. I, I just think you know why I like it. So it's going to be hard for me to <laughs> hard for me to really uh, justify anything. We've, we did episode 100 on filmgasm about twin peaks. And I was just like, yeah, I like it. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very much a sucker for being distracted for being, <clears throat> for being kind of stunted by style and, Fellini definitely has a has has an eye and has has a liking for style. And eight and a half is this movie I had definitely heard about the most of all of his work, and had a certain expectation, and, and it and it met it for me. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to watching this movie again, and, and and this would be a really interesting one to do as a base as a base uh, movie on. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, I go ahead, man. I know you. I, I know you gave it a five. I read your review. Um, I'll let you. I'll let you have have your go at it. Yeah, eight and a half. <laughs> Before I get started, the re- so the reason I don't consider you a pretentious film snob because you like these movies is because you are very aware that they're that these films are up their own ass. And I'm yeah, very I just, happy that you realize that yeah. and recognize that. So I know that you genuinely like these films for their style. I, I had to come. I had to come to terms with that when I saw saw you know videos, interviews and stuff of Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson in the '90s, and I was like, oh, a couple of my favorite filmmakers of all time are kind of douchebags. <laughs> you know, it happens. It's okay. You know, I I think they're also like great for cinema, great for film, but of course, at times they're going to sound like fucking d bags. You know, that's just that's just the way it is. I think I do sometimes. I, I, uh, not as bad as uh, some of these filmmakers, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's a fascinating discussion. 
Oh, we, I mean, we, have, we have a podcast called Oscar Sunday. It's hard not to, you know, occasionally be up our own ass. Yeah. <laughs> um, so eight and a half uh, lost me almost immediately. I, okay, hold on, hold on. Hold you there because you texted me and you were like, I'm kind of digging this. When was that? 10 minutes in? <laughs> had to have been. Yeah, at first I was, I don't even fucking remember. It was so much movie. Yeah, it's and, a dream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or a nightmare was, for your. <laughs> yeah, it was. I think it was. It was when he's at a party and people mm. are talking to him, and he's like, "I don't really want to make this movie." And they're like, "Well, hey, you got any work?" And he's like, "I don't really know if I'm making the movie." And yeah, it kind of just descended into chaos. And I was like, "Yeah, where am I right now?" Like, I didn't. I watched it, it over a course of two days, and it put me to sleep both times, and I had to kind of wake myself up and get like rewind to get back into it. And it was just like, God. (laughs) And yeah, I was pretty uh, aggressive in my review. I'll admit that. No, Um, no, I love it. I love, I love it. It was just, I didn't know what was going on and I didn't care. And if I don't care, I'm out. Like that's a big part of a movie for me. Like if I don't give a shit about what's going on, I'm not going to like it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I, 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 Totally hear, totally hear you, and especially through the course of this show. Now, forty-two episodes in, yeah, we we both have learned so much about just kind of our personal taste. Yeah, because this movie just kind of we're just kind of fucking putting them on the block, and yeah, man, we're we're being harsh on them, praising them, and you know, this. I mean, yeah, being honest. Of our three podcasts, this is the one that has really made me kind of take a look at myself and realize, like, mm. who am I as a movie fan? Who am I as a film buff? What am I? What mm. do I like? What do I hate? What can't I stand? What do I rally behind? And it's really interesting because every episode changes me a little bit. It's really kind of remarkable. Like the same, you know, I am not the same man I was when we did Pulp Fiction. <laughs> It's it's crazy. I I feel you on that. I feel you on that, man. Uh, I think it's the rate at which it's going with this show because we each week, you know, we're we're really trying to hone in on something. And in this case, it's Fellini. You know, in three movies for three and four, three or four movies is to stay in one place is you know is a lot for one week. And, and but we love it. We love doing that kind of taking it, kind of taking it snippet at a time, you know, and yeah, kind of, you know, like you said, you kind of change and adapt piece by piece, week by week, by adding on these, these, these people who have this legacy, not just with the Oscars, but movies in general, you know. And you know, when we're talking about Tarantino and Fellini, th- their, their names go far beyond the Oscars, you know, they, yeah. they, they, they. they they are what represent, you know, the history of cinema. When you think about the giant names through each decade, you know, those are the, those are kind of the, for, for as ridiculous as it sounds, those are kind of the people that matter when we're talking about this stuff with the, the bigger picture, yeah. you know, the people who contribute these pieces of work. Those, those are the guys that we're always going to talk about. The way I see it, every episode we do is me putting another piece of this ongoing puzzle on the board. I don't know what the puzzle is going to look like, but I'm having a blast building it. 
And I know (laughs) that it's going to just continue to look amazing. And I don't know if I'll ever finish the puzzle, but I'm going to keep building it because it's my favorite thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I like getting that piece and plugging it in to the right place. Yeah. (laughs) And eight and a half was a jagged, boring as fuck piece, but you know, that's me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I consider this film to be in certain circles a film that some people use so they sound smart at parties. So they don't, mm. you know, they say they like it so they don't look like the odd man out. I think some people genuinely do use Fellini to sound smart. Not everybody, but some people certainly do because I've met these people. I've been in you know, film classes with these people, people who just brought up Fellini and Godard <laughs> and are just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, aren't they just amazing? You know, and I'm like, well, I don't know. I haven't seen their movies. And then I saw their movies and I'm like, not really, no. <laughs> fine yeah I yeah i'm sure in 1960 you know this was something else but nowadays i have seen better <laughs> well well yeah and that the, the thing is is you're not just some jackass who's just watching movies from now you we not too long ago we were putting fucking elmer gantry in the oscar hall of fame like this is certified yeah. awesome awesome shit you know one of the coolest best actor wins of all time you know when it comes to film, I will watch anything from any decade. I've seen films from the 1890s. Yes. I mean, I don't yeah. care. You know? Yes, this is, this is what we do. We, this is what we do. We, we put them on the block, man. We see, what, see what's going on, no matter what year it's from. And I love, I love doing this, you know? And I, I, if, if I brought up Fellini, like in a conversation trying to sound cool, mm-hmm. I would look not cool real quick because I've only seen four, you know? <laughs> I would be like, oh, uh, La, La Dolce Vita. I haven't seen that one, but I've heard it's pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's not something I, it's not a guy, not yet in my, the way w- when I'm talking to people, he's not a guy I would just, yeah, just, just bring up because I don't have a lot to back it. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm open. For the most part, I like all of these, uh, these four that I've seen, you know, they're, again, eight and a half is my favorite of the four, but I like all four. Right on. And that's great. You know, I'm not going to kill this podcast and immediately end my friendship with you because you are a Fellini fan. That's great. All the more power to you. Well, uh, yeah, because last week we did in Bruce. So, you know, I'm throwing you a bone every time. Yeah, I get mine. <laughs> okay, you know, I get mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. I, you know, I love that one too. That was a, that was a, that was a total blast. And, and then the week before that, we both just didn't really dig chariots of fire. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's an ongoing, you know, partner thing here we got going where every film is, you know, going to relate to either, you know, me or you or both of us or none of us. I mean, we don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Well, the last one we'll talk about before we uh, go in depth on La Strada is uh, another one. I think you, <laughs> this is the other one that you, 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 you dislike these later too. Like you said, when he becomes total full on art house director, uh, it'd be Amar Court from 1973, which competed, of course, couple years later it, uh, you know i watched this whenever we did the chinatown episode uh when we were talking about some 1974 films uh Marcord competed at that that ceremony uh you know that's when i watched a woman under the influence you know for the first time you know i was like i'm gonna dig into dig into this year and that's what i love about this show that's what i love about doing this shit is diving into something specific and, and you know i i like this one it's um supposed to be definitely an autobiographical and stream of conscious, (laughs) 
stream of conscious stuff. Definitely eight and a half and Mario Kart were ones that I saw where I was like, oh, I, 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 I definitely thought about, I wonder where like where Lynch saw this, you know, where David Lynch like was, what does he think about these? I, there's just no doubt in my mind that Twin Peaks, when he's doing Twin Peaks, he's thinking of these influences. And of course, that's just like piques my interest as a fan, you know? And you, you, you see these things kind of fold over themselves in, in, in movie history. And, and I saw that in these later two movies. I was like, damn, you know, there's definitely people who like this shit, like, like movie people that are, that are creative and are like, yeah, because, you know, with eight and a half, it's like, I mean, what director wouldn't watch that and be like, oh, yeah, I've had some of those thoughts before, you know, where they're just kind of like, I'm just battling. I don't even know what, you know, I'm just like, what is movie making? What am I even doing here? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I love those thoughts. And with Amar Accord, you know, kind of going to a specific time and place like in, in like boyhood, you know, is just like super fucking fascinating. And the pace is, the pace is fucking odd, you know, and I think that's where it kind of loses you. You know, I'll let you, uh, let you take it away with a Mark Hord. Yeah. <laughs> the Mark Hord. Um, yeah, it's, it's all over the place. Uh, we don't really have anyone to focus on or like relate to in this town. Um, and I just, I, I, I felt a lot of potential in this uh, mm. the story. I thought that the whole, um, you know, focusing on the, the uh, fascist movement of Mussolini was great. I would have loved to have seen more of that. You know, like some rebellious kids, you know, refusing to be fascist. That would I would have watched the hell out of that movie. But you know, it just it bounces to so many different places and it just we we don't linger long enough to connect to anything. And you know, by the time the giant lady was wrapping her tits around that teenager, I was just kind of like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, that was nutty. <laughs> it's pretty funny it's pretty it's a pretty funny movie uh because these these like these people on the coast like the coast town they're just silly these silly ass people who have like they just have like no idea what's around them you know <laughs> the world around them they're just so you know naive to what's happening outside <laughs> i think that fellini i mean he did so many autobiographical films and i don't know i just i don't find his boyhood life all that interesting i'm sorry but i think it you know when i heard him say eight and a half was one of the greatest films ever made you know that he made i immediately (laughs) lost a lot of you know respect i'm like who says that i mean you've never heard stephen king say the shining is the greatest horror novel ever written (laughs) like who does that that's incredibly pretentious and arrogant i don't care who you are so yeah, yeah, totally different to say this is the best thing I have made, but this is just one of the made. best thing. Yeah, <laughs> fuck you, total douche. Amar Kord uh, was nominated for best director and best screenplay, and then of course got the foreign language film win. Uh, yeah, th- those those are kind of his four big Oscar movies. Now, I mentioned La, La Dolce Vita. Have you? Do you want to see that one? Do you just want to kind of cross it off? Or yeah, where are you I'm at def- in that one? I am not canceling out Fellini exactly like I'm not canceling out Cassavetes. What I've seen, I haven't liked, but the journey's not over. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I, I think, I think because of your reaction to La Strada, it just kind of opens the door just a little bit. Exactly. Plus, yeah, my you know uncle what I'm saying? 
my uncle has a poster of La Dolce Vita that I've seen my entire life. So I want to know what the hell this movie is. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's awesome. Uh, before we get into some Lestrada stuff, let's say be real quick, let's, let's, let's go over these 12 nominations that Fellini has gotten. Uh, we, yeah, what's up? Before we go into that, he had, so four of his films have won best foreign film, but he himself has never actually won an Oscar. Correct. It's kind of, so who won the Oscars for, was that the producers? Yeah. 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 You know, it's frustrating, right? Yeah. 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 No, he, he's, if you, if you go on IMDb and you see it, it'll say 12 nominations. Yeah. You know, and then if you go to the, each of these movies, it'll say one win, one win. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, that's uh, <laughs> no, it, it happens a lot. If you, you, you got to click on, all kinds of different things sometimes that I've, I've learned just random shit. Uh, you know, just the other day, I'm sure I learned something through IMDb, just kind of flicking, flipping through stuff. But, uh, the, the, the man here, um, it, his Oscar nominations go back before the best foreign language film, you know, category was a thing. Yeah. And that's, you know, we, we, we've brought up guy, you know, Eric Kurosawa, you know, when we did Rashomon and, He's a guy who got some some honorary awards and then went on to you know compete in the foreign language film category. Definitely a name that's comparable, you know, uh, to to Fellini as far as his influence on you know the you know American films, like oh you know, and just just what people talk about, what they think is you know classical and good when it comes to foreign stuff, you know, and of course the Oscars have a lot to do with that. Yeah, I bet this category exists because of Federico Fellini and Akira Kurosawa. I think they're the two most influential foreign directors prior to 1960. Yeah, that's that's in my opinion. That, that's from what a, I've seen, from what I personally have seen them. I yeah, I don't think there's really an argument that yeah, that's a fascinating discussion, you know, to just kind of people, yeah, pre-1960. I think those two guys, especially for where you and I, where we are here in the United States, massive, hmm. just massive influence. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, Fellini, 1947, is uh, is nominated for Roma Sette Aperetta, movie I have not seen, uh, nominated for the screenplay. Uh, 1950, nominated for Pesa, also screenplay. And then that gets us to where we are at today, La Strada. Uh, 1954, of course, nominated for screenplay. And then just keeps going. I Vitellini, he's nominated again for screenplay. Uh, La Dolce Vita again for screenplay and director. Uh, of course, eight and a half, which t- t- we talked about, uh, screenplay and director. Uh, what else do we got? Amar record. Oh, Sat- Satiricon, also nominated for best director. We got Amar record, best director and best screenplay. We got uh, Il Casanova di Federico Fellini, best screenplay. And then he won an honorary award in 1993. So there's that, but he was, uh, you know, that's that's I think that's the year he passed away. So, you know, yeah. that's probably why. Uh, yeah. Twelve. Twelve for the guy for directing and nominating. And of course, a lot of times for the same movie. I what of these do you want to see that you haven't seen? If I'll put it that way. OK, I have heard quite a lot from my own family about Satyricon. Yes, yeah, Satyricon definitely jumps out to me. Uh, that's okay cool i like that I, I like that that's the gets a one-time nomination for best director i would love to 
dig into that, dig into that one. And then considering that I've kind of realized that his you know best work is probably before eight and a half, uh, definitely uh, Roma Cita Aperta and uh, Paisa and I Vitelloni. Yeah, I Vitelloni, definitely 1953. Definitely want to check that out. That didn't compete until 1958. Why? <laughs> Why Don't did know. they do that? Don't know. Yeah, so weird. You know, it'd get really confusing. Yeah, a p- Pesa from 1946 didn't compete until 1950. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. A lot of it's two, three, four years in between. I, I don't know. It's, can you imagine if like Parasite didn't compete until 2023? I didn't. Yeah, I fuck. I'd very much like to see uh, Roma Cita Aperta probably the most because this is an Italian film made at the end of World War II. Mm, there you go. So very curious about that. I like that. I like that. Yeah, man. I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of willing to dig in. Cause I, I, you know, I'm in a different place right now as a, as a Fellini fan. And, yeah. it's, a, and it's about the Nazi occupation of Rome. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to watch. That. There's, there's 13 of his films on criterion right now as we speak. And then there's also a, a, a branch of that is the Fellini uh, Messina collection with him and his wife, you know, the movies that they worked on together. Uh, and of course, Lestrade is one of them. Yes, indeed. Let's 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 talk about Lestrade. Okay. Let's 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 do that. You know, um, let's let's uh, just go ahead and pull up. You know, just just for this is what we were talking about earlier for just kind of representation and for nomination shout out sake. Let's shout out the other movies that were up for best foreign language film. <laughs> okay. Because this is a this is a new category as of this year, and so you got five movies. You know, it's typically typically what the category is right and yeah. still is today uh the, the the other four sorry if i pronounce them incorrectly we have quivatok from denmark gervais from france the captain from kapanek from uh, germany the bernice harp from japan and then of course lestrade the winner i haven't really heard of either of those you know any, any of those other films so uh what say you nope nothing completely <laughs> i'd watch all of them though I've only really started paying attention to foreign film in the past 10 years. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely for me as well. Uh, I, I can't really pinpoint a single movie where I was like, Oh, that's the first foreign movie that I saw or something like that. I, I just remember there was kind of a wave where I was like, Oh, what do we have here? You know? And then of course meeting you kind of, kind of nudged me in a, uh, a whole new direction of, okay, no, I, I really want to do this. And then, and then this show, Oscar Sunday. And of course, if you're, you know, on Criterion channel or uh, HBO max, you just have an influx of awesome movies, old movies, foreign movies that you can just kind of dive into. And with all of that stuff at my access, I just have the past, you know, two, three years has just been just fucking bring it on. You know, <laughs> the first foreign film I ever saw I can remember because I had kind of a wave too. My dad was very much into uh, kung fu movies, so mm-hmm. I first yeah. really took the plunge into Asian cinema when I was a kid with Ong Bak, the Thai Warrior. Nice, <laughs> which is still one of the most badass martial arts films I've ever seen. And then from there, I watched you know City Hunter with Jackie Chan, um, Enter the Dragon, uh, which oh, I think that might be my first one. God, I oh, Enter the Dragon, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Hard-boiled, 
uh, Kung Fu Hustle. So mm. I had kind of a you know steady drip. Yeah. Uh, as far as European film goes, um, I don't really know. I think it might have been film class in college that uh, I think honestly I think it was Breathless. That's <laughs> which, hilarious. Was not a great place to start. You're like oh, French cinema bastards. <laughs> yeah, that's that's hilarious. That's really funny. I, Breath, Breathless is is I, I like it. I, I like the pace of it, but I definitely understand. I Godard like uh, again is just like Fellini with the. It's just there's a lot that comes with the name, a lot that comes with it, and that comes with uh, that mainly is heavy expectations because when you just get raved about and raved about, and your movies have amazing scores and get put in the top ten lists, like then fucking bring it. And if it doesn't, and if it doesn't do it for you, I, I, that sucks. You know, it's just, it's always a letdown. I don't ever feel superior because I don't like these movies. If anything, I feel let down because I yeah, want yeah. to be a part of that conversation. I wanted to <laughs> like these films, but I just don't. And that sucks. Yeah. You just, you have to be honest with yourself. Yeah. That's what it's ultimately about. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Um... Yeah. And we got, these really interesting movies that now I, I have on my radar from this other, this, this foreign language film category. <clears throat> and if you could pick one, I love doing this game, obviously did it earlier. If you could pick one from this group, these other four, just off of not knowing anything, what, what would you go with? Um, hmm. I am a sucker for Japanese cinema, so I would probably go to Burmese harp. Okay. Let's see. Burmese harp is a drama film directed by Colin, Ichikawa, based on a children's novel of the same name, it tells the story of Japanese soldiers who fought in the Burma campaign during World War II. Oh, there you go. That's right oh, up your alley. <laughs> uh, I think, I think I, you know, I recently watched, uh, you know, another round, a uh, Danish movie. I think I'm going to stick with the Danish action. I don't know how to say this, but I'm going to go Quivitok, I, I is, would be my guess. It's a Danish drama film directed by Eric Balling and starring Paul Reichardt and Astrid Villom. The movie was filmed entirely on location in Greenland. Nice. It was nominated for both Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film and for the Palme d'Or. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I, love, I love I love going to random ass like uh, from anywhere from the you know in the twenties to forties as far as you know Academy Awards go. 29th Academy Awards for this case and just looking at random ass movies that I've just never heard of. <laughs> That's almost like 80% of what this show is. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's a blast. You know, just a movie that I really want to do on the show soon is uh, Paul Schrader's affliction from 1998 and Nick, Nick Nolte. And it's like, it like just came on HBO max. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I know things are, <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at, there's so many movies I'm interested in to do for the show that just kind of pop out at me when I'm looking over ceremonies. And that was one of them. And then I just randomly see that it's on this, this streaming service right here in my living room. We're going to do it soon. <laughs> that's where Coburn got his Oscar. That's been on my radar for years. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. I think it was nominated for just two Oscars. And I was like, Oh, that's a sweet spot. You know, I, you know, I got a lot to say about Paul Schrader. Uh, the guy, the, the guy deserves yeah so much acclaim. He's amazing. Uh, it's, that's, like you said, it's like a huge part of the show. 80% of the show is just kind of diving in and finding random things to talk about and watch. 
that's that's what yeah. we're doing here. And, and Lestrada is a is a first timer for both of us. I I'm really glad that this is the one that we both like, so that we can both give words out to it. Because I'm keen on you know figuring out what what you picked. Because you know when you do the the foreign movies and you're picking awards for it, yeah, you know it, different stuff comes into play, man. You know you're really paying attention to these actors and their delivery because you, you you're really watching the way they move and reading the subtitles at the same time and just really focused. And yeah. I'll admit, I'll admit when I'm watching some American movies or, or, or sorry, English speaking movies, sometimes I'll just get kind of lost in the, the stars, you know, and lost in Leonardo DiCaprio's eyes, you know, just fucking, just, <laughs> just, just fucking distracted, just biased, you know, sometimes. And, and I, I, I do that all the time with the, the people I love in movies. It's exactly what happened to me with Lestrada with Anthony Quinn. Because oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> he um, he's on a different level in this. Holy hell. I do want to talk about the uh the screenplay noms. Oh uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I had a whole nother whole nother, yeah, of course, before we get to our shit. Yeah. Get to another real shit. <laughs> interesting bunch of films here. We've got uh Lestrada by Federico Fellini and Tullio Panelli, mm-hmm. The Lady Killers by William Rose. Julie by Andrew L. Stone, The Bold and the Brave by Robert Lewin, and the winner, The Red Balloon by Albert Lamoris. And The Red Balloon is a French film. Yeah, I was just about to say that. I was like, wait a minute. So, uh, uh, not even that, not only that, but a 35 minute uh, short <laughs> French film directed by the guy who, or written by the guy who invented Risk. <laughs> I hmm. said episode in the future because that's a lot of interesting like, <laughs> things there <laughs> the red balloon yeah is a 1956 french fantasy comedy drama featurette <laughs> 35 minutes short huh i i this is the first time i'm really seeing anything about this obviously this is fascinating i definitely uh, we've, we've been to this show a couple of times. I think maybe we've mentioned that James Dean had a posthumous nomination here. We've of course talked about Ingrid Bergman winning in this, uh, at this ceremony, but I, I have not come across this red balloon action before. I have not, I've not seen this. I would love to do an episode based around that because it's first off, it's only 35 minutes. That is bizarre. How yeah. do we, we're going to have to pick awards for something that's only 35 minutes. I would love to do that. That'd be so difficult. This is such an anomaly. Short films do not get that kind of love ever. Like this is, this is weird. You know, this is like, you know, baby born with third leg weird. Yeah. I've, I've read somewhere that there's a rule that a feature has to be over like 40 minutes now or something to be, I can't remember where I read that. I can't remember what year it was that they changed that, but I don't think you could, I don't think you've always been able to do this to have a 35 minute. I think it's over 40 which is so silly, but uh, I guess that's kind of like where people decide, okay, I'm not doing a short, I'm doing a full movie anyways. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's, that is crazy. <laughs> Definitely want to do that on the show. For sure. And then, you know, the lady killers is one I've always wanted to see. I'm a fan mm-hmm. of the Coen brothers remake, but I've never seen the original. Neither have I a uh, British black comedy film, of course, uh, by Alexander McKendrick. Yeah. I definitely want to see that one as well. Uh, it's, a movie that was remade uh, damn near 50 whole years, you know? So afterwards, uh, I would love, to, I would love to see that too. Yeah. And then bold and the brave and Julie, I know 
uh, nothing about, but I looked into it, and I don't know, maybe. Yeah, you never know. My my top pick is Red Balloon. I'm very very interested in this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such an oddball that I feel like we have to talk about it eventually. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up on see if it's on anything whenever we're done here. See if I can find it. No, I'll. I mean, it's 35 minutes, so I'll watch it sometime soon for sure. I'd bet you know I'd, I'd bet money it's probably on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, or this is that is definitely a thing. Criterion would add some random ass. French short that's yeah yeah an Oscar winning 35 minute French short with children in balloons that's that's exactly what I think of when I think of the word criterion yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I I think of French for sure French is one of the first things I think of when I hear cri- criterion collection French documentary 30 to 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I think either like 30 minutes or four and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no middle ground. It's either super short and concise or long as fuck. And it's going to take you six days. Yeah. I love it. That's great. I was just looking on the website last night. I had an itch. Just, I, I kind of want to get a couple more, you know, I just got that big, that big haul in and, my favorite one of those is definitely the mining the gap one. Cause that is such an interesting choice for them. Right. Is this, uh, this, this super gritty American documentary, uh, mm-hmm. based around some skaters. And so, you know, that, uh, yeah, it was, that was quite cool that they got, it got selected not too long ago. And then right when it came out, I was like, yeah, I gotta, gotta make sure I get one of these. You know, you can get the Irishman criterion collection at HEB. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> okay uh i would rather get there's other netflix movies i would like way rather get right you know roma or marriage story those both have their own criterion yeah i get those first irishman not for me you know uh it's good it's fine but i wouldn't pay like i wouldn't pay extra to get it on criterion unless i were one of those people who's trying to collect just a shit ton of criterions, which I'm, I'm not, I'm just very selective and I want to get stuff that I like, know I'm kind of going to use for the show or I'm going to like, you know, or that yeah. I already do like, you don't want to own all the spines. Uh, no, no, that's far too much work. Plus, you know, with the streaming, so this is really lazy, but like with all the streaming services, you know, with criterion channel, able to just f- file things in and out over and over and over every single month and i'll 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 never run out of criterion selected stuff to watch yeah i don't go in for the criterion blu-rays they're just it's too pricey for me and yeah i do the dvds man because i it's i mean yeah on sale all of those i I got six of them they're all 15 bucks still on sale so they're 30 dollars originally yeah that's correct see i just bought a Blu-ray of I Am Legend for five bucks at a gas station. That's, yeah, that's-, <laughs> that's my shit. That's definitely my shit. But you, you know me, man. I, 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 there's specific movies that I really, really dig and really want to do on this show. Yeah. And I basically, I basically bought all of those for this show. You know, and Minding the Gap is, is one that we could definitely do on the show one day. I don't know how we would do the PSH for a documentary because it's real. <laughs> I don't know. We might have to just nix that award and do the other four. 
Yeah, um, yeah, we could. Yeah, that's right. We could just kind of do something else, or just kind of ch- alter the award a little bit. Like maybe it's the most interesting person in the documentary, or you know, best best interviewee. You know, the people that give the best kind of interviews. I love those kind of people in documentaries. So yeah, we'll figure that out. But yeah, yeah, that's what I'm always trying to do when I'm kind of buying the criterion stuff is like, I, I want to be able to kind of use this and let you borrow it. And, you know, you know what I mean? Kind of share it. I think it's wild that the criterion channel doesn't have every film that's been selected into the criterion collection. Like I assumed they would, but they don't. Yeah, they know they don't. They change them out, you know, which, which is cool for me because I mean, I think it would be cool if they had everything, of course. Like, if they just had all every single cri- proper Criterion selected movie on there, that'd be, that'd be, you know, just super convenient. I think it is interesting that they kind of rotate them because then they're, they, they shine a light on other stuff that isn't, you know, Criterion selected. It's just on their channel, you know, like uh, those Jane Fonda films that I was watching. I just watched a, a slew of movies that have Jane Fonda in them. Those aren't necessarily, you know, criterion selected, but they're just up there and they're just kind of sharing them, streaming them, you know? And I love that they have those options where it's not just like, oh, look at us, look at what we're doing. Come watch our movies. It's also like, look at this. Here's here's Lanthimos' first three movies. Here's a guy who's hot right now, who's like doing really well in the movie industry. Here's his, here's his stuff, you know? Here's Barry Jenkins. Here's Bill Hader. Here's Alfonso Cuaron talking about what movies they like. That's kind of what I'm a sucker for, you know, is, is that stuff, that kind of extra juice that it gives you. Well, I think they should have that too, celebrate, you know, people's love of film, but also like in the back have, you know, the Criterion Collection 1 to like 582 or wherever they are. Yeah, that would be, that would be, that would be beautiful. Yeah, if it was literally at the bottom of the app, if it was just literally like the library, yeah, the, the criterion library that I agree with you, that would be so convenient and so beautiful to scroll through. Cause you could see how they're, how they're ordered, you know, how they were selected, not, not how, how not how they line up chronologically, but how they selected them. You know, I, I love that. I love that thought. <laughs> the perfectionist in me wants to just line them all up and be like, Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Damn. Perfection. And you're like, that one's good. That one sucks. That one's good. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard of it. Okay. Just passing that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good, clean fun. I, I, I think you can get, you can get caught up in thinking that this goes along with the Oscars and criterion and any kind of conversation like this, where you think that a certain group's opinion of this is important or anything. That's not the case for you and I, we just, we like that a group of people who give a shit about movies are like, Hey, check this out. That's kind of cool. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? If I have time, I'll check it out. See what's going on. I love to be a part of that movie conversation. And the criterion just kind of does that for me as a fan. You know, I just kind of have been able to open doors to, to, to all kinds of different shit, you know, and then I can get on letterboxd or, you know, get online and and read stuff that like, Oh yeah, fuck. I, I thought those same things. And, kind of connect on a different level that you had no idea you could go to. And that's like the best thing about being able to put movies, specific movies on the table. Like we are here, you and I, we narrowed it down to four movies for Fellini, his four movies that won the best foreign language film. And that's how we're focusing on it. I think that's like a really good way to kind of discuss film is just focus in on one thing. 
And, and I, I think that these things that you and I kind of appreciate about Criterion, about the Oscars, I think those are the things that we appreciate are, are just kind of the kind of the context it gives them, you know, gives the movies. That's cool. I think what'll be really, really cool is when we do inevitably visit, you know, revisit Fellini, do La Dolce Vita or whatever. It'll be really cool to see where you and I are at that point in regards to what we've seen and how much we've experienced and where the conversation evolves. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, and in turn, these guys that, that, that we're learning about for the first time and then, and then kind of, you know, deepening our, our, you know, knowledge of them as we do other episodes, we're also kind of challenging ourselves with people we love. Yeah. And that's, that's way harder. <laughs> that is, that's, yeah. that's, that's honestly way harder because when you, you know, are forced to just kind of, kind of say exactly what you like about something or what you dislike about something, it, it makes you look yourself in the mirror and what, the very first episode we did, what is Pulp Fiction to me? Am I just one of those bros? No, this is why I like it. These cuts, these performances, these yeah. edits, these needle drops, this is why I love this movie. You know, figuring those things out, it can be it can be kind of scary, but it's also just fun as hell. Yeah, I mean, we've had to, you know, def- defend Chinatown, a film made by a known rapist, and kind of acknowledge, you know, why does this film still matter? Why are we still, you know, why do we still love Chinatown? but despise Roman Polanski. Answering those questions is difficult, but it is, it's challenging in a good way. And mm. I, I love that. Yeah, it, it's rewarding well, mentally, for sure. Just kind of, kind of going, going through it and just speaking about it. And with, with Fellini, we've obviously kind of, kind of gotten to a few interesting places, you know, just uh, the broader the broader picture of like what, what we think of, you know, what does his name mean? What is, what does it mean when a director's name is so big and just kind of philosophizing about what, what our fandom is and what, what we kind of think about this stuff. And I, I like doing that, man. And I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad we looked at those, uh, those screenplay nominations, you know, and it, it, it always opens up new doors when you just kind of look at something and talk about something. Uh, and again, before we get into our awards, Anthony Quinn did win Best Supporting Actor at this uh, ceremony. And he, I know he's a guy you just, you're kind of a, you know, kind of a sucker for, a guy from this era that you really like. He's a, dude had a presence. Anthony Quinn was a strong character actor. And I have not seen a lot of his work. I think I've only seen like one or two, but for the guy who have made such an impact on my mind for just one or two films, like that's fucking awesome. Uh I think the first time I saw him was Lawrence of Arabia and mm. uh, <laughs> holy shit, man. Yeah. He's just one of those guys who you believe could beat the shit out of anybody. He just has that like powerful guy presence with the heart and soul of an artist. It really is an awesome union. And he's a guy I totally want to explore further. Yeah. Yeah, a, a Mexican American just artist, basically. From what I've read about him, he kind of just did a bunch of different shit. You know, yeah. kind of put his hand in it, put his hand in different things. And I, I definitely, I echo that. I, I want to further my knowledge about about Anthony Quinn, and he's so goddamn good in this movie. <laughs> uh, you know, we've got our four awards here that uh, have kind of 
kind of stuck, stuck their ground, man. You know, these, these awards have been kind of the staple, you know, the kind of, kind of the, the ending of our show for, for a while now. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm really excited to get into these. You know, we got the Tarantino for best quote or best line. We got the Ennio Morricone Award for best music moment. We have the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for best performance of the movie. And the Roger Deakins for the best scene or best moment of the movie. So I'll let you take it away first with your Tarantino. Uh, this is a, a script written by Fellini himself and definitely is going for a lot of comedy, you know, and then, and then kind of punching you right in the, punching you right in the gut at times. Uh, I, I definitely appreciated it. What do you got? My, my Tarantino comes uh, shortly after Zampano has been arrested for attempted murder. And yeah. Delsamina has been asked by the circus troupe if she'd like to go with them. And she's torn. She doesn't know if she should leave Zampano or stay with him. And the fool kind of gives her a little bit of a pep talk and mm. picks up a pebble and says... No, I don't know what this pebble's purpose is, but it must have one. Because if this pebble has no purpose, then everything is pointless. Even the stars. At least I think so. And you too. You have a purpose too. And in that line, he kind of convinces her to stay with this monster. And I just... That, that line resonated with me because in the end, she ultimately did not have a purpose. She Her life was cut short by loneliness and it really amounted to nothing so it, like in retrospect it really this 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 line really hurts knowing where mm-hmm. she's going and yeah that's why i chose that yeah excellent excellent moment in the movie and the the commitment to these characters not just being stereotypes but being kind of flushed out like raw proper characters you know that are their emotions are so so evident you know and i i really like the scenes between yelsomina and the fool just man there's some really interesting stuff said there i love that i love that shout out i definitely thought about that one um definitely makes you think yeah it makes you think once you've seen it you know and kind of know you know the foreshadowing yes yeah, oh man tough stuff I, I also chose I, I chose a bit of dialogue between uh, Julieta Messina's character Yelsamina and uh, the widow. The, the, them two, they're talking. It's a little later in the film. Um, pretty simple discussion, but uh, there's a there's just a just a piece that jumped out to me. <laughs> jumped out to me, made me laugh, but also also gave me chills. And that's one of my favorite things about screenplays. My, one of my favorite things about movie writing you know it's not it's not intended to sound the exact same as how we talk in real life sometimes it's supposed to be just kind of built up just a little bit has a little bit of that extra juice you know for 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 the screen and i I think fellini does that sometimes like really effectively and and right here it's the widow says for three nights i've been up at 1 a.m to cook think i'm tired (laughs) if i felt like it i could go dance all night long us older women we're better than the younger girls (laughs) Oh man, I I love that because it it's one of those lines that I've I've done I've given my Tarantino to to lines like this before where it kind of snaps me out maybe of a certain uh, 
you know, kind of like fatigue I have in the movie where I'm just kind of like, damn, you know, like what the fuck's and it just gives it this again, gives this kind of magic, this kind of salt that I just just needed at the time as a fan watching the movie and a, a line that just kind of stuck with me after I read it. Uh, I thought that was hilarious and her delivery was beautiful. Well, you know, with movie making, it's not just about the words, it's about how the words are said. And tone is, in many cases, everything. And yeah, I remember that scene. Great, great moment. Really good trouble. Yeah, I thought it, I thought, I thought she's just, yeah, it's just a good, good timing in the movie. I thought it, thought it was necessary. Yeah, yeah. This is a pretty tight, strong script. I, I, I liked a lot. I liked the screenplay quite a bit. Uh, I think it's just diff- differs so much from the stream of conscious stuff that's <laughs> that comes later in his career. It's, it's way different. Yeah. I, I don't know why he, you know, I wish he'd committed to this kind of storytelling because it really is, you know, it draw it drew me in with Amber Cord and eight and a half. I was out within 10 minutes with this movie. I was drawn in. I'm like, well, who is she? like, why, you know, are they going to be all right? Like, where is this going? I, I wanted to know more. <laughs> Are they going to be all right? <laughs> that's, I mean, the second, that's what you always want. Yeah. 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 A family sells their daughter to some circus dude for 10,000 lira. And Jesus. just tells her, all right, get in the cart. <laughs> and then he just beats her. Like, what the fuck? This is terrible. This is tragic. And then her just, her smile the whole time of like, hey, maybe life's going to work out. No, <laughs> it's not. No. <laughs> Ah, oh, yeah, this was a this was a blow to the gut, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow, wow. Yeah, it's like, you know, uh, this is like an old school, you know, got that kind of black humor, you know, just kind of like real dark, kind of like, what the hell? Is this supposed to be funny? Am I supposed to be crying? What? Well, what's going on here? You know, there's aggression, but there's also these people pulling jokes and being silly and... Uh, Zampano, telephone. <laughs> you know, there's what's going on here. You know, it's just fascinating stuff. I love, I love a good genre bender. Oh yeah, me too, man. It's uh, I don't know. I feel like I've seen influence, like movies influenced by this in one way or another. Nothing comes to mind, but I've seen. I felt a sim, you know, I felt similar to the way I felt with other films when I watched this. I can't off the top of my head name some of these movies, but I know I've, I've. Something came from this. I know that. Mm. Oh, man. Don't you love that? But also kind of hate it because you're like, I want to know what it is. I want to pinpoint. I want to pinpoint. Yeah, uh, definitely. Definitely. I felt that time and time again. Um, now, I, I, I think I just went through this not too long ago where it was kind of this like, whoa, kind of warping crazy moment in my movie mind where things all just kind of connected completely made sense and that's when we we, we both got to watch uh, uh on episode 40 we both got to watch not just Chariots of fire but the other nominations and that would be atlantic city and when i could connect atlantic city and elver gantry and see my favorite my favorite modern filmmaker who was so clearly influenced by those two movies <clears throat> i you know, I just, it's, it's super rewarding and I can't really express uh, uh, how grateful I am for those moments when those happen, when you see something that is glaringly obvious in your movie mind, 
ah, I've seen something like this before, whether it be before it or after it, seen, I've seen something. <laughs> and, and that's one of, one of the best feelings. I think La Strada, it, like reeks of that mm. where, where you, you, you feel it, you feel the stuff Anthony Quinn is doing. You're like, Hmm, haven't I seen other guys do that? Like recently, <laughs> you know, are people, are people copying some of the, some of that, some of those motions, some of that, you know, the body language and, and Juliette Messina is like, how could a comedic mind who wants to be in a serious movie, not look up to her? Yeah. She, her facial expressions and her kind of naivety in certain moments is, is some of the best timing I've ever seen. And for La Strada and Knights of Kiberia, she, she, she carries these movies, these two movies and, carries them on her back at times. Uh, I think in La Strada, you know, you, you have the help of Anthony Quinn, who's just giving a lights out performance, but she is really just carrying the weight of the world on her shoulders in both of these movies, La Strada and Knights of Kabiria. And I, I, I really admire her for that. You know, you know what I saw, you know what it was? It's happy go lucky. That's, yeah. that's what I saw in, in her performance. Sally Hawkins totally drew from this. This just unchecked optimism that everything's going to be fine and I should be nice to everybody. But also just to have that come flying back in your face. It's, oh, yes. All right. Beautiful. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, isn't that great making the, and why did we watch that movie? Because of this damn show. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I would have never watched Happy Go Lucky, directed, written and directed by Mike Lee from 2008 which competed against M. Bruges in the best screenplay category. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have watched that without having a specific reason, really. I would have watched something else or chosen something else. Uh, I just would have passed my, would have passed. I didn't bring this up last week because I forgot, but I remember back in, when I lived in Maryland, we had Netflix through the mail and somebody in the family got Happy Go Lucky. And I remember being asked if I wanted to watch it. And I remember saying, no, that sounds terrible because <laughs> i didn't know i was a stupid child i didn't know i mean in the end i was you know i won't say i was right but it, it was uh you know i wouldn't have known i just i find that funny that like i recognized the movie and then you know tw 10 years later i'm like all right let's watch that for a podcast <laughs> that's fantastic i love that yeah that's definitely i i i relate i relate <laughs> Oh man, uh, the the Ennio Morricone. This is always fun. Uh, picking up, picking out stuff we like about each film each week that has to do with music. Uh, in La Strada's case, you know we have a pretty, you know, there's a pretty wide range here of sounds in, in this in this particular score. Um, right now, I'm I'm trying to find the composer's name. I think it's Volta. I don't know. How to say Rota. It. Rota. Yeah, 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 and. I, I like the music a lot, and I, I had, but I had a pretty easy time choosing mine, and that, that was the the arrival of Zampano, a arrivato Zampano, and it's just a you know kind of banger type song. It's only a minute and a half long. Uh, I immediately put it onto a playlist on Spotify because I just was kind of kind of taken aback by it, and then of course the arrival of Zampano, you know, and you have Anthony Quinn just coming in and. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> if you have a weak stomach, you know, <laughs> I suggest you look away. This piece of cloth 
is, is not, you know, because I'm weak. It's because I don't want you to see blood. Ah. <laughs> I love that so much. And that song is just like perfect. I love it. What a fool. Just... <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Lungs of steel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my Morricone is pretty recurrent. It's um, that bit of violin music that is constantly mm. kind of playing throughout the movie. It's the film's theme, but I picked a specific moment and it's the end of the film when Zampano's sobbing on the beach for what he's done mm. and the music swells and it's like, you know, haunting him. It's her haunting him because he knows it's his fault. It's all his fault. And that whole, the whole movie is him kind of realizing that he's a bad person. And yeah. that he got to, essentially two people killed. He murdered the fool, but he got her killed too. And, and actually, now that I'm realizing it, her purpose was to make him feel. Isn't that sad? Whew. That's, ouch. Damn, that's man. how sh- that's how shitty like the the male species is, is that they need like a reminder that you should be a good person yeah yeah it's that's <laughs> completely fucked up that this ape who bought a woman from a fam from a poor family so that she could hold his cloak while he does fake you know circus tricks he had to he needed help realizing he was a bastard <laughs> oh Man. <laughs> so yeah, that's my that's my Morricone. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it, man. I I know exactly what you're talking about. It's something that's gonna kind of just play in my ear. <laughs> I'd also like to point out that Nina Rota is mostly famous for have composing uh, for composing the theme to The Godfather. There you go. There you go. Working uh not just in Italian cinema but American Italian cinema. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. Uh yeah yeah. Uh, <laughs> fantastic fantastic movies uh the, the god godfather one and two and he's definitely a big part of it we we love we love shouting those guys out you know uh very important members to the game and when it comes to the Ennio morricone award we're just going to kind of bring those guys up so I, I i love that we have that part of the show and this score is really good it, it if i were given the score score it, it would be it would be solid it's a it's a good piece and i think the fellini films uh sometimes you can get kind of lost in which one's which yeah. but with La Strada, it just kind of popped it just kind of popped for me very clear what this movie is and what it's about and i think the fact that i went in thinking oh you know here's a third time's a charm hopefully uh <laughs> i i didn't expect to fall in love you know <laughs> it's one of yeah. those situations where like oh my god this is great <laughs> and I, I was very happy to have that. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean, man. I love it. Well, I'm very interested about this award uh, every week. <laughs> the the Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, who would you pick for this one? I think it's down to two people, yeah? Or do you think The Fool is also someone who's up for debate? I, he could. If there was a third guy on this, I I, I would bet, you know, maybe, maybe he's going to pick him. But I don't know. I think, I think it's very clear who we're both going for here. <laughs> um, so... Anthony Quinn was astonishing <laughs> in this film as such a scumbag piece of shit who eventually learns, 
hey, maybe it's not a good idea to be a scumbag piece of shit to everybody I encounter. <laughs> maybe I let this girl die because of my own pride. But Juliette Messina is this movie. And she's who I chose. Same, same, 100% through and through. She, I, I, I believe she is, is, the, is the X factor in this movie. And when she's reacting to things and, for example, I think, you know, the, the famous scene of her behind the fool while he's playing and he's trying to teach her how to do that kind of comedy, that little comedy bit for the circus. She is putting on a fucking clinic in that scene. And to this day, there's just, there's just not, there's people who don't quite understand how to, you know, I would never know how to, but there's people who don't understand how to, how to do what she's doing. It's, it's, it's fucking beyond me. And I, I didn't know that by going into Fellini that I was going to be more interested in his wife's career, more interested in, in, in finding out about what she had going on uh, in other movies. And I, I, I'm going to go out of my way more to watch Messina movies than I am Fellini movies. Yeah. I, I'm going to go out of my way to watch Knights of Kiberia at some time simply because yeah, yeah. I, I want to see more of her. She's she great. Was, she was fantastic. And she reminded me of the women who worked uh, with Charlie Chaplin. Uh, there was a specific uh, Virginia Cheryl from City Lights. Uh, echoes of her in this performance. She just had this comedic foil presence about her with a hint of extreme sadness. And you understood where both sides of that came from. My favorite scene of, of uh, my favorite bit about the scene where she's playing the trumpet, or, well, the trombone, really. I don't know why they called it the trumpet, but <laughs> behind the fool. And she screws up and he goes ape shit. <laughs> you, 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 with that, you get the vibe that he's no different. He's Zampano too. There's, there's no escaping. Like, even if she'd gone with him, she would have been miserable the same. There was no road to happiness for this woman. Mm-hmm. That's, she's, she did not deserve that. She was so pure and innocent the whole time she should have stayed in the convent she should have run with the circus she had so many outs and she was so loyal that she didn't take them and then how does he repay that loyalty he fucks off like oh this movie pissed me off in a good way yeah no i know exactly what you mean man it's like and how how unforgiving it is at the end you know yeah that it doesn't allow you to be like, oh, it's okay. Zimpano came back. Around. No, no, no. He made one too many fucking mistakes. Yes. Fucked over one too many people. And now you have to deal with that. And now you gotta, now you gotta live with that shit and swim in it, you know, and, and just, just deal, just, you know, and, and living with that for the rest of his life is, is something that is either going to break him or change him. And that's, that's, that's such a fascinating to do in a, a fascinating thing to do in a movie is to put put a man who is one thing throughout the movie, and by the end of it, something brutal has happened. He's either changed or broken. And when the credits roll, you don't know which one. And that's yeah. like one of the coolest things you can do in movies. It's happened over and over again. And with Lil Strada, I, w- I was just struck by that. And it's because it's 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 mainly because of Messina's, like you said, that kind of you, you kind of are cheering for her, rooting for her. It's because you feel so strongly about her 
and her, you know, her passing that you're kind of angry with this guy. You're kind of sick of him, just disgusted by him. And you're like, get your ass out of here. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, he literally leaves innocence out to die. I mean, how do you do that and live with yourself as a human being? You don't. And I think if this movie had been, you know, 20 minutes longer, he's, I feel like he would have just walked into the sea and not come back. Um, I would have done it a little differently, though. I love the scene where he just collapses into tears at the, on the beach. But I would have had that happen a little earlier. I would have had him find out about Jasmina's uh, death, then do the trick with the chain, mm. but be unable to break it because he just collapses into tears. Oh, he, tries to, he tries to break the chain, and then he just, you know, he's trying, and then you just see his face kind of crumble, and he, like, realizes what he's done, and he just collapses into a fit right there and the chain never breaks yeah hell yeah i was expecting that but you know i'm not gonna say you know i can correct fellini's work i'm not no (laughs) i'm not saying that but (laughs) that that would have been neat (laughs) yeah man i love it i love it yeah i i I figure we were both going to be pretty inspired by messina and her her role as yelsamina in this movie uh and yeah that's definitely what happened we both gave her the psh what do you what do you got for your deacons the best scene of the movie what do you got uh simply because it was so unforgiving and i can't believe he did this it is when zampano leaves galsamina and takes off and um because mm. i i was i it's interesting that we decide to then go to zampano's point of view we don't get to see her you know live out the rest of her life in almost exile we get to see him having moved, you know, moved past it. It's been five years and he's, you know, smarted up his suit. He's, you know, still in the business, almost completely forgotten about her until he hears that song. And he's like, wait a minute. How did just, he left her the trumpet. Yeah. That, that showed like he did care a little bit. It was in, Oh yeah. Leaving him, leaving her the trumpet meant, on some level, I don't want to do this. Yeah, well, he, he, she, like, the, the, the main thing that I took away, other than this just being like a pretty solid and entertaining movie, was, was his character going through the, the act of learning what it's like to remember something, to build a memory. And clearly this guy is someone who just, acts off instinct and moves forward, moves forward, does not want to talk about anything, does not want to talk about his past, does not want to talk about anything other than let's move forward. What's to drink? What's to smoke? What are we doing? What's the next show? How can I make money? What's the next town? And so when he, when he does that and you're like, ah, this fucker. And like, like he said, leaves her and all those years pass when that, that's the first time we see him kind of, Ah, he, it's something that's happening other than what he's doing is, a, is actually affecting him. He's not being so goddamn self-absorbed in this moment that he's hearing something from the outside because there's no, there's no song in any bar that they're in. There's nothing that happens around him that reminds him of anything. The whole movie, he's just fucking tunnel vision, selfish as shit. How can I, how can I get through the next day? And I'll just use people along the way. But in, in that moment, for whatever whatever it was about 
about this, this woman in his life for that, you know, about Yelsemina in his time, in his life for that time, he, he just remembered from a song. And that is exactly what, exactly pointing out what you're saying is, is that, that shows like legitimate care. The movie, the movie has sincere patience about it. And this character doesn't change until it just fucking whacks us in the face. And it's great timing. The trumpet is Zampano's soul. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. And the fool brings up the idea that Zampano might be in love with her. And she rolls with that thinking, you know, this is a man who's never been shown love. So he doesn't know how to express it. Mm. And there is, you know, I think there's some truth to that. I think, you know, he's clearly a cold, cold man. And she brings a warmth that he's never known or understood before. And on some level, he's attached to that, but on another much stronger level, he is terrified of that. He's a man who's very clearly afraid of change. And that comes through when he leaves her, like he can't handle this, but leaving the trumpet means that he wants her to be okay, but not with him. Man. So tough, dude. <laughs> I was not prepared for this. <laughs> oh man, I, I love it. Yeah, that was that was one of my choices. Was that that moment that you pointed out for my deacons? But I, I ultimately went with uh, the the exact moment when Zampano snaps and kills the fool, and yep. just I I'll, I'm going to point out my my guy again. I I thought about Daniel Plainview for sure <laughs> when I was watching this. You know, I'm obviously a sucker for PTA, but I was just like, holy shit, just kind of forceful, kind of accidental. Not really, though. <laughs> this is me second know? degree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of uh, shocking brutality, you know, and. Anthony Quinn, we know, you know, we know Zampano is capable of just destroying somebody, especially in this movie. Whether or not Anthony Quinn is giant doesn't really matter because Fellini chooses a bunch of other actors who are tiny. Yeah. And so, so yeah. it's it's a genius decision, and apparently this film was not easy to 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 film and make. And there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on in set, and I, I just wonder about a guy who's that menacing and that huge. <laughs> Anthony Quinn was uh, six foot one and a half. Oh, that's that's pretty pretty decent size. Yeah, especially if you got a bunch of short Italian people hanging around him. <laughs> yeah, when Zorba the Greek comes to town, he—I mean—he's not here to fuck around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I yeah, I that moment yeah was just was was amazing. You know, the fool kind of stumbles down and then passes away, and you just you're you're kind of left in this moment of oh shit, Bonnie and Clyde. But she's like, no, I don't want to be in a Bonnie and Clyde fucking situation. Why did you do that? Yeah. And, and that, that's another, another trope I love in movies. When you put two people who are sort of in a relationship into a debacle like that, where the stakes are really high, I, I'm kind of a sucker for that stuff. Well, I also love the, the hints that this is, not, like, this is clearly the first time he's ever killed somebody. Like this, he's thought about it. He's wanted to do it, but he's never actually been faced with the reality of it. And he is terrified. Yeah. But Anthony Quinn does such a great job masking that, that you kind of believe he might've killed somebody before, but 
little hints about like, you know, the way he just kind of, he freaks out a little bit more frequently than usual. He's always kind of, you know, a little on edge after that. And I love the, the way that Quinn played that. It was just so perfect. A man who is so scared, but refuses to show it. Like just his, he's so like unfamiliar with his emotions that he just pushes down anything including fear. Yeah. <laughs> like that is amazing. Yeah, awesome stuff. <laughs> so good, man. Yeah. The more more we're talking about it, the the the, the more I'm just kind of realizing how just precisely good it is. Uh, uh how solid of a film it is. Uh I, I love that. Love that. That's uh, I've said it before that's one of my favorite things about the show. Yeah, man, me too, man. Ah. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Uh do you, have, do you have anything else to say uh, about, about Fellini, about La Strada? I, I won't call myself a Fellini fan, but I will give La Strada an eight. Yes. See, I also give La Strada an eight. Uh, Knights of Cabiria, eight. Eight and a half, nine, and a Marcord, eight. So it's, you know, kind of across the board. I'm all, I'm all good here on those four. Cool. What do you got? What do you got? You have, you have eight for La Strada. Knights of Cabiria will give a chance. And then what about the other two? Eight and a half gets a five. Amarcord gets a six. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> five and six. So you definitely liked eight and a half the least. That's for sure. Yeah, that yeah. was very much just you know, pointing a camera and like, look at my genius. Look at what I can do. So, I'm the man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, well, ne- next week we uh, we have another one. Uh, this I haven't seen it. Have you? No, um, we're, we're, we're going back even further than La Strada. We're going back to the 30s, uh, back to 1933 for She Done Him Wrong. And this is, uh, this is, yeah, this is a movie I've definitely, definitely heard about, and you and I were kind of throwing around ideas, and we, we want to do it an old-school movie, you know, kind of do a you know, 30s film, something that kind of happened at the beginning of the Oscars history. And so, you know, She Done Him Wrong was just up for Best Picture. It, uh, had no other nominations, so going to be kind of fascinating to do that. Uh, that that really happens with us, where we're just doing like a one-time nomination, unless it's yeah. something like in Bruges, you know, or Fight Club. So, <laughs> so this is this is going to be really fun. Uh, I, I can't wait to go into that territory. It, the movie is like an hour long, so <laughs> this is going to be it's going to be totally different than what we're used to, and you know, we're going to use Mae West as kind of a a jumping off point. We, we might watch some of her other movies, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of, kind of jump, jump around, you know, with 1933 May West and just, you know, see, see what happens. May West, Hollywood's original sex symbol. And also her co-star, Mr. Cary Grant. We have to talk mm-hmm. about him. And I am of a course. big fan of Cary Grant. So we, you know, we'll be bringing up some of his work. Uh, this will, I'm sure it'll be a very intriguing episode. It's a pre Hayes code Hollywood movie. So I'm interested to see what they uh, they tried to get away with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So j- just real quick, uh, the, the the quick little plot synopsis is a uh, in the gay '90s, a seductive a seductive nightclub singer contends with several suitors, including a jealous escaped convict and a handsome temperate temperance league member. Yeah, I mean, for pre Hayes Code, this sounds yeah, sounds like right up our alley. Yeah, <laughs> in the gay '90s, that'd be the 18. 90s. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. 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 Yeah. Not the night. Not. Yeah. 
Not not like fucking Adam Sandler's 90s. No, no, no. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Yeah, man. I'm excited. Killer. Uh, be sure to catch Jurassic Park on the Filmgasm podcast this Wednesday with mm. new co-host Caleb Leger, longtime Filmgasm contributor and co-founder, back in the fold, finally. Uh, so excited. Check out our sneak preview covering Zack Snyder's Justice League director's cut. And uh, be sure to tune into the Giggle Guys on Friday. <laughs> Hell yeah. Wonderful. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next Sunday. <laughs>